My name is Lisa. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I get to oversee what we call life groups here, which are just smaller communities. In such a big church, it's nice to sometimes know just a few people really well. So I get the privilege of doing that. Hey, I'm going to show you a slide here. Um, This is a, a... picture, a photo album from when I was little. If I asked you what you call this, what would you call it? Photo, how do you say it? Okay, so for over half my life, I have called this 100% a photo album. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a photo album. That's how I grew up saying it, that's how I knew to say it, until one day, Mark said, "Uh, what did you say? I said, The pictures, I'm putting them in our photo album for the boys so they'll have something when they grow up, you know, to show their wives if they get married. (laughs) Anyhow, he just stopped me and looked at me like, what are you calling it? I said, photo album. He's like, it's not album. How do you spell it? And I'm like, well, I don't know. A-L-B-L-U-M. And he's like, no, there's no second L. It's photo album. And you guys, I'm serious. It rocked my world. Have you ever done something like that where you were so sure? But apparently it is actually called a photo album. And I literally have to stop and think each time I say it that way because I'm so trained to call it something else. Well, this morning, as we continue in our series called Called Out, What is the Church? I'm wondering how many of us for years, in the same way that I pronounce album wrong, we have had the wrong definition for church. How many of you guys made a quick trip by Starbucks on your way into church this morning? How many of you that have young kids said, can you believe it, we made it to church on time this morning? (laughs) Right, and got your coffee, I see that coffee mug, yes. And those of you online, how many said, we got to hurry up and log in? Church is about ready to start, right? So you know what? It doesn't matter at all if I pronounce photo album wrong for the rest of my life. It really doesn't matter. But it matters profoundly for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers to know what it means to be the church. We can't afford to get it wrong. Mark last week helped us define church. You see that by definition, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, and it means called out, a called out gathering or assembly of people. You guys, the church is not 
a destination. The church is actually a people of God called out for his purpose. First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellency of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has called us to be holy, to be a light in a dark world. In 2 Corinthians 6, 18, it says, and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know what that means? That if we're his sons and daughters, then we're brothers and sisters. We're actually a family. And we can no more be a Christ follower and have nothing to do with the church than be a person who doesn't belong to a family. It's part of the fabric of redemption. As I was studying early on for this message, I came across this quote by a pastor and author by the name of Eugene Peterson, and it stopped me in my tracks. He says, as Christ followers, we have been asking the wrong question when it comes to the church. He said, and listen to this carefully, the church is not, the question is not, excuse me, am I going to be a part of this faith community, but rather, how am I going to live in this faith community? Not, am I going to be a part of this faith community, because we already are. At the moment we trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were divinely brought into his family. So the question now is how are we going to live in this faith community? Someone once said, biblical community is not an option in the sense that a sunroof is on a car. Biblical community is like the transmission. The vehicle doesn't run without it. So as we continue in our series called out, what is the church? This morning, we're gonna unpack what it looks like to live and to love in this community of faith. Last week, Mark started our series and he used this wonderful metaphor of a hardwood tree that lived in the jungle and how important it was for its survival, for its roots to go deep. And it was such a great reminder as we're called out first and foremost to love God, that our roots need to go deep in him. That when we understand the incredible love that he has for us and that knowledge goes deep within us, we're able to love him in greater ways. And he shared with us some wonderful disciplines, spiritual disciplines that we can put in our lives to help us go deeper in him. Well, this morning, not only are we called out to go deep, but we're called out to go wide, to not only be rooted in him, but to be rooted to each other in love. And you know what, this isn't just a great idea. This is Jesus's idea. As he gathered his disciples in the upper room before he went to the cross, he said this, wow, I get choked up thinking about it. He said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's found in John 13. It was a new commandment to love one another. It was different than the Mosaic law that they were to love God and love their neighbor, but they wouldn't know till after Christ's death what it really meant to love one another, the sacrifice that he would pay on our behalf to show us what true love is. If you have your Bibles with you this morning or your flat screen devices, I'd encourage you to open up to Ephesians 4. We're going to uh, spend some time there diving in, looking at what it looks to go wide in our faith, to love one another deeply. But before we do that, I just want to pause and commit our time to God. Heavenly Father, today we want to see the beauty of your design in the church. Teach us what it is to live in this community of faith, loving one another well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we dive into our passage this morning, I want to share with you a picture. It's a picture of a redwood grove and not too far from us. Any of you guys been to Big Basin? Might look familiar. Well, um, I want to show you something because this, this redwood grove is such a perfect metaphor for us going wide and loving one another in our faith. This little thing right here, and I don't know if you guys can see it in here, hopefully um, online, maybe you see it a little better. This is actually a baby giant sequoia. Okay, this is what they look like when they start even smaller. Now, why I want to show you that is because the redwood tree is known to be one of the tallest trees in the world. They grow in groves about 16 to 18 feet apart. So they're pretty close together. They can be up to 300, 350 feet high. That's 35 stories high. They started this small, 35 stories high. Their lifespan for some of them can be over 2,000 years. And they withstand strong winds, earthquakes, fires, storms, flooding. And by looking at that redwood, you could easily assume that their roots must go deep in the center to supply the nutrients and the stability for such a massive structure to survive. But that is not the case. This next picture shows its superpower. The redwood stands strong and tall because of its shallow intertwined root system. They are literally holding each other up. These trees go, grow close together. Without the support of each other, they would not last. Their roots often go no deeper than six to 10 feet, you guys, but they extend outward up to 100 feet or more. Each tree is deeply sustained by the larger, wider system of, of roots that's, that provide its stability and it enables them to grow high into the sky. This network can actually travel for miles beyond the individual tree because of its sophisticated root system. Wow. If God was that intentional with redwood trees, for a grove of redwood trees, how much more he has for us 
to live in this grove we call the church. So I want to ask this question this morning. What might it look like for us to live and to love in this faith community? Our passage in Ephesians will help give us some clues as to how we can do that. In this passage, there are a couple things in particular that I want to land on this morning um, that will help us to know how we can go wide. So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians 4, starting with verse 1, and we're just going to read through verse 1 through 6, and it's going to help us to understand what it looks like and the importance of actually widening our hearts towards one another for the sake of unity. One of the ways that we can sustain and grow as a body of Christ is widening our hearts towards one another for the sake of unity. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Amen? Did you notice that Paul didn't just ask them to live a life worthy? He begged them to live a life worthy of their calling and their calling was to be united together through the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Those believers in Ephesus, those Gentiles were now going to be heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharing together the promise of Jesus Christ. How in the world do people who have been divided from the beginning of time become united and love for one another? Only through Jesus and only through unity. These past couple of years, we have been anything but unified as a country, as a nation, as a world, but you guys, even as a church. Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Like the redwood tree that soars hundreds of feet in the sky, God longs for us to be alive, soaring into the sky and bearing witness to God's abundant life that's available to all who receive it. And if we're to be shaped by that in our way of life, we must have a root system that's powerful enough to hold us together. And God designed that root system to be unity. And he tells us specifically what it looks like. It looks like having humility, putting Christ first and others second, and then yourself third. It's by being gentle Meekness is another word for that. And that means power under control. In the Greek language, this 
word um, meekness was often used to describe like soothing medicine or a colt that had been broken or a soft wind. In each of those cases, you have power, but that power is under control. He also tells us to have patience. That's making allowances for others' faults, even when you've not been in the wrong and when you've been wrong. And we can only do this oftentimes because of Christ's love for us. And then he says, make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit. The verb here, united, is a present participle, which means it's constant, it's an endeavorment, it never stops. The spirit of unity is our responsibility, each one of us, if we're gonna get this job done, and it means continuing, continuing to make an effort. And then finally, he says, bind yourself together in peace. I love Romans 12, 18, especially in our season. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God wants to reproduce in us, his followers, the character of his son his love, his kindness, his compassion, his holiness, his humility, his unselfishness, his servant attitude, his willingness to suffer wrong and his ability to forgive. I wanna make sure and just pause for a moment to remind us, because I know some of you are thinking, but you don't understand how hard this is. You don't know how different my family is or the people I work with or fill in the blank. We're called to un unity, but we're not called to uniformity. We need to remember that it's important that we express our diversity. Aren't you grateful that we're not carbon copies of each other? that we get to be the unique person that God has created us to be. But it doesn't just happen naturally to be at peace with others. That's why Paul reminds us of what does unite us. He kind of takes us to the like 350 foot view from the top of a redwood tree and says, look down at the floor of the grove. Stop living down there so much and look up. See the view that I have from here. Remind yourself that you have been invited into this grove with the Trinity, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That we are defined and united by a testimony that we tell together. We are God's people. And our fundamental story as that we were once dead and now we're alive in Christ. We're one body and it's a body around the world. I think of, you know, it breaks our hearts to think of Haiti because we know people that live in Haiti. They're part of the body, the universal body of Christ. But we're also a local body and that's what we are here, here at Westgate. And as a local body, we get to exercise our spiritual gifts and help each other grow. That's part of why it's important to be united and to remind ourselves that we're one body. We're one spirit. We have the same Holy Spirit 
indwelling in each of us if we're Christ followers today. And we worship one Lord, one Savior who died on the cross for us and live, we live for one day when he will return. That is our glorious hope and the future that we have that he talks about. We have one faith that's been deposited by Christ in his church. One baptism is the act of the Holy Spirit when he placed the believing sinners into the body of Christ at conversion. We are dead to sin and now we're alive in Christ. And then he wants to remind us that we're one God and Father over, in, and through all. Doesn't that make you rest just a little bit? A little bit of the ickiness inside can just kind of go away when you recognize that God has got a plan to love one another. And when we're unified and we can recognize that it's not so much about all this down here, although all this down here is very real, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But when we can see the bigger picture, we can breathe in and amongst what is down here. When we take the time to remember that we're united, we are much quicker to have the things that divide us ruffle our feathers as much. And I'm wondering if you guys, like me, see that this is truly an issue of the heart and that we are to live a life worthy of our calling. And maybe like you, and maybe like me, there's someone in your life right now that it's really hard to love. It's really hard to feel united with. I just invite you to ask God, God, give me your love for that person. If I haven't reached out to be at peace with them, give me the courage to do that and then leave it at that. You're not responsible for their reaction or for what they may accept or not, but how's your soul? Is it in a place that you're open to unity? especially among those of us that call ourselves Christ followers. Well, the second thing that we're called to do is to love one another in our faith community by reaching towards each other to bring us to maturity. Because, you know, when we all first trusted Christ, we were all this. This is not a mature um, redwood, is it? It's darling. It's cute, but it's not mature. It's not gotten to its fullness. And the way God designed us to preserve this unity is by giving us spiritual gifts to use to unite us and mature us at the same time. And unfortunately, you guys, this morning, we don't have time. It's a whole nother message to unpack all what the different spiritual gifts are. But if you're taking notes, jot down 1 Corinthians 12, or Romans 12, they're great passages that list many of the different spiritual gifts, such as leadership, discernment, hospitality, serving, wisdom, generosity, mercy, and so on. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 7, and then we're going to skip down to verses 11 through 16. It says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. 
Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of the Son of God that we may be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of God, of Christ-likeness. Not, we will never be Christ, but being like him. It says, then we will no longer be immature like children or like a little giant sequoia. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with their lies. So clever, they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head, the body of the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its special work, it helps the other part grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What makes you a Christian is the life of God in you. Christianity is not a way of life. You are a new life, a new creation, living out the life of Christ. Did you notice in verse 15, it says, Christ who is the head of the body makes the whole body fit together. You see, it's as if, this is a lame example, but pretend I'm the body of Christ, right? Like this is us, the church. It's actually a body. And here's Christ as our head. And you know, the nervous system and all the things that happen in a body. And believe me, I don't know the half of it, how it all works, but it starts here and it goes down here, doesn't it? And so Christ is the head. When we go and we look to him, he tells Joe here, the arm, how to be the hands of Jesus. And he has Ramy over here, be the foot. And here's how you can walk in to being the foot of Jesus. And when Ramy decides, oh, you know what? I don't know about this. I, I got other more important things to be about. I wonder if we don't as a church walk with a limp. When we don't use our gifts, we stunt the body's growth. We stunt the ability for the world to see these tall examples of who Christ is pointing people to Jesus. Each individual con contributes to the unified growth and maturity of the church as he or she allows his particular gifts to function. This is why the question, how am I going to live in this faith community is so important. How might you and I widen our reach towards one another for the sake of maturity in Christ? Where might we use our spiritual gifts to serve others in our faith community? Now, I know we're in a unique situation, aren't we? We're in the middle of a pandemic and we have a good portion of our people still online because it's not safe for them. They're not comfortable yet to come back, understood. But for those of us currently that are physically back, I wonder what it might look like to actually live in our faith community and use our spiritual gifts. So I thought I'd give you an example of some ways that it happens around here. Did you guys know that before you even came this morning, probably 
seven o'clock or so, there were a number of people here that were using their gifts to figure out the tech stuff. Thank you, Jesus, for those people, right? To figure out the sound, to, to run the cameras, to make sure that you get to see the slides by clicking, clicking those. There were people even way before got here that all week were practicing the worship song so that they wouldn't be a distraction. <laughs> you know, just kind of like if I was up here singing, it would be a huge distraction. But they're, they're, they have gifts in different ways that I do. And they used it. This is how they live in the community of faith. There were those others here early that got coffee for us. Like, yeah. For those of us that, um, you know, rely on coffee to survive and live. Yes, we may have had our one cup at home, but we need that second cup here. Especially if you have young kids. So, but here's one, I was kind of joking about it, but what you need to know is our coffee area is a beautiful place for that person who's never been to church before to feel invited in and like, whoa, uh, is it free? Like really, your coffee? And to come in and have that sense of, oh, this is, this is comfortable. It's that place who's maybe at that place where somebody's had a hard week and just somebody saying, hey, how's your morning? And handing them a cup of coffee. Would you like some sugar in that? Lots of cream? makes them feel seen and makes them feel known. That's how they're living in the community. That's how they're building up and edifying other people. For 10 years, I was the children's pastor here. So this one's big in my heart. For those that serve in kids town that use their gifts of teaching, of encouragement, we have a lot of little ones like this who if they have any hope in our day and age of growing up tall in their faith, need you and I to live in Kidstown for a period of time. They need someone to come alongside them and to give them that hope, to tell them that Jesus loves them and to give mom and dad the opportunity to come here and hear the same thing, to grow and mature in their faith. We have a number of students, junior high and high schoolers that need adults in their lives. They are living in an age where ideologies of every kind are being taught to them. They're being distracted on every front by so many things. It's hard to believe in the, you know, I'm still so young, but when I was younger, it didn't seem as hard as it is today. So we need people that have a heart for young people to come alongside and spend once a week with them, investing in their lives, helping to mature them, helping to answer questions that they have, helping to be that person that models the hope of what it is to follow Jesus. And then during the week as the life group pastor, it makes my heart so happy to see literally 120 plus groups around our San Jose area coming together to be the church. And when they're together, they have the relationship and the right to speak truth in love to each other. That's the way we grow, you guys, by, by being in gentle ways, called out on our blind spots, 
And I'm not saying life groups, that's just what we do. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of fun and a lot of community and great things. But if you're not in a place, a smaller community where you're known and you're able to be yourself, all your ickiness that goes with you, with me, I don't know how you're doing it. Because left to myself, I'd only see that. (laughs) I got a text yesterday from my small group. They're like, hey, let's meet at the coffee station this morning and go sit in the front and support Lisa. Do you know how my heart just feels calm this morning? Because they know me. They love me. They're going to love me on Monday morning whether I blow it today or not. It doesn't matter. So do you have that smaller group of people in your life that can speak truth, that know you? And relationships demand that we're willing to be seen. In a life group, you are seen and you're known and you're loved for who you are. I wanna show you one last picture up here. And this is a picture of a redwood tree in kind of fog. And I wanna show you this because of the fog. Does it feel familiar to you? Do you kind of feel like we're living in this season with a layer of fog? Our world right now just seems covered with so much unknown. But the beauty of a redwood tree and the beauty of growing tall is that when the root system underneath is maybe dry because of drought, the fog actually feeds them. They're up high enough that the moisture from the fog feeds them. Guys, that reminds me, when we grow and mature in our faith, we grow tall. And in these seasons where it's foggy and we can't see and we just can't even sometimes imagine what the next day is going to be and look like, we can still be fed. We can still be united because we know who God is. And as a body, we remind each other of that. We edify. We mature in our faith. I'm going to ask, oh, he's here, thank you, um, for uh, my friend to come up. Because at Westgate, we are intentional to get you connected, not to a church, but to a people. Going deep and wide is our desire for each of you. This is how we mature, and this is how we're formed in Christ's likeness. This isn't about needing you to do something for us. This is about being planted in this grove that we call the church and living. As we close our time, I just wanna take a moment and invite you to just close your eyes and sit with the invitation God has for each of us. This question of how am I going to live in this faith community? Where is he calling you and where is he calling me to go wide? Maybe it's widening our hearts towards others for the sake of unity. Or maybe it's widening our relationships to strengthen and mature one another. I left the question up here, just just take a minute And let God speak whatever he wants to you as you think about, Lord, what does it look like for me to live in this community? And I'll close this in prayer in just a moment.
For those of you that are Christ followers this morning, God, we thank you for bringing us into your family, for uniting us and putting us in a family where we can mature together. Lord, I pray for anyone here that is here that doesn't yet know you. God, would you stir in their heart a curiosity to know more about this family that you've created through Jesus. And may they pursue out of curiosity what it might look like. We love you, God. May we go deep, but may we also go wide as we live in this community of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.